I know what it's like to feel invisible. To think it's too late to become what you've always wanted to be. You feel like it's too late to have more life. I felt that way too, but when I lost my brother to cancer, he made me realize I have way more life to live. And I discovered the choice was mine to live it or not. I know you want to become confident and empowered, and you deserve to step into that life you are yearning for. I'm Carrie V, and I get it. There is more greatness to come in your life, and I know you can feel it. I've made a choice to live my big life. Now it is your turn to be empowered and step into the life that has always been yours. It's time for you to step off the sidelines and into your own life, the one you were created to live. It's easier than you think. I believe in you. In fact, I am your biggest fan. So let's get started. The year 2021 is upon us. Have you thought about your foundational pillars going into the new year? Instead of setting up a, an age-old, I'm going to lose weight this year, how about if we focused on a pillar? How about if we declared a pillar for the new year? And how about if we made that pillar gratitude? Being grateful for everything that is in your life now. Looking around you and practicing gratitude for what's already present Practicing gratitude can change your life. It will change your life. It will radically improve everything when you focus on what you're grateful for. I feel so strongly about this that I created my 30-day guide to gratitude journal. I challenge you for the year 2021, grab a copy of this journal for yourself and everyone in your household, your friends, do it together. Why not embrace gratitude in a whole new way and make 2021 your best year ever? I dare you. Link is in the show notes. What if you could find more hours in your day, more energy, peace of mind, freedom, and fulfillment? Today's guest, Madeline Wise, helps high achievers find those hours, that energy, that peace of mind, and freedom and fulfillment. She is the daughter of a business owner who died of work stress at 42 years old. Madeline was only 15 years old at the time, and although there was little she could do to help then, she has since built a career on a foundation of extensive education and experience to help other people enjoy happier, healthier, productive lives at work and at home. Listen in, grab a pen and a notebook. There is so much in this episode you are going to want to take notes on. Madeline, take it away. Madeline, welcome to Coffee and Tea with Carrie V. I am happy, pleased, and blessed to have you on the show with us today. I feel the same. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. We want to hear about Madeline. So I've gotten to know you over the last few weeks in BC and Accelerator and then going on. And we were just discussing before we started recording how <laughs> when you go out and you start to pitch yourself, you're talking about you all the time. Yes. And you were saying, oh, it gets kind of sickening talking about yourself all the time. And now I'm going to ask you to talk about you <laughs> even more. We want to know who you are. I live to serve. <laughs> yes, you do. Which is probably why I said what I said. Like, yeah. Ick. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So just to jump right in, I think a lot of people don't know this about me. Um, I study 
Advaita Vedanta, pre-Hindu tradition. So on top of very classical psychodynamic training and very traditional business education, there is this element of more. What more is there? And I think at the end, when we're talking about our pow pow shoes for <laughs> that to that. Um, so when I first started studying this, they had us um, doing service. So we were, there was this gorgeous, gorgeous antique home. And they would have us do these exercises, these philosophy exercises, where what they were teaching and what I really want to share with everybody is this idea that when you focus your attention on the working surface, I swear to God, hope to die, stick a pin in my eye. That is, and they said this, but you don't know this until you do this. That is where the bliss is the bliss, the bliss. So I learned that through um, painting woodwork or um, they had this, this huge um, washer and dryer for the dishes. Yeah. Right. So I'd be in there dripping, sweating wet. And I learned that through service now, Maybe it was in my nature to begin with, who knows, but it definitely was magnified through this experience that the giving was such an incredible pleasure. And um, I also study evolutionary psychology and brain science. Okay, that sounds fascinating. It's all consistent. You will read in there, you will read from um, the ancient Eastern and Western philosophers and now the modern brain scientists, how gratifying it is to give. In fact, I think, I think Tolstoy said that people, I, I'm always afraid I'm going to twist this up and it's really important that I don't. So, okay. People love us, not for what we do for them, but for what we let them do for us. And it's almost counterintuitive in a way. But once this becomes a little more top of mind than it can be, people will notice, I think, that it's in their giving that they really... um, come into their full humanity and aliveness. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. I wasn't planning to say any of that. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. So, well, that's how this podcast works. We sat down for coffee and we just, you just let it fly. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's like, that's right. So we started because we were saying how icky it was when you're doing lots of podcasts and you're talking about yourself and now that we have the zoom thing so it isn't it isn't like you're standing before your audience and looking at your audience you're looking at yourself yes yes over and over again (laughs) over again but um 
the so I I do have clients, and I I do focus on them all week, and it is my great 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 privilege and pleasure to do that. Yeah, to watch. I I love that in giving you enter your full humanity. We were never meant to hold everything in close. We were meant to give it out. So for example, speaking of clients, so I have a woman who just sold a company for something close to a half a million dollars. And we were, she was talking like quietly about um, how hard it is to be so um, happy in the midst of so much suffering because there's so much suffering now. Yeah. And I recommended a few poems to her. One was Mother Teresa's poem, Do It Anyway. Oh. And the other is Marianne Williamson's poem, Return to Love. Both of those poems um, make the point so Marianne Williamson says, who, like, when you are afraid to shine, she says, who are you not to? Like, you've been given yeah. gifts, and if you don't share them, and Mother Teresa says exactly what this woman is afraid of, that if she shines, um, that people might have issues. And Mother Teresa, believe it or not, I couldn't believe it the first time I read it. Mother Teresa says, yeah, you're right. They will do it anyway. Yes. Keep doing it anyway, doing it anyway, doing it anyway. And then where we landed at the end of the session, which was just yesterday, which is why it comes to mind, is that if every single one of us, all of us, each of us, brought that kind of glow to the world. Yeah. Could it, could it not be a better place? It absolutely would be a better place. Than everybody walking around. My granddaughters call it the bitchy resting face. Yes. You know what that is? I know exactly what that is. Right. So uh, yeah. if everyone flipped that into, into their more blissful face. Yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't the world be so much nicer? Yes. We need to coin the, the Madeleine blissful face. Yeah. She gave lessons on that. I mean, if you think about it, I remember Mel Robbins once watching it. She said she watched an interview of herself and she was horrified at the resting bitch face she had on. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And it wasn't that she felt that she, looking back at the interview, she wasn't feeling that way inside, but that's what was coming out. And she really realized she needed to work on that. And I think it's something we all need to keep in mind. How are people, how are people viewing us? Are we approachable? Do we look approachable? Right. Well, actually I've been looking at you. So I don't know what my face looked like when I was talking about the bitchy retsy face. I, <laughs> I hope it was not the same thing as what happened to Mel Robbins. No. <laughs> Whom I love, by the way. Me too. I love her five, four, three, two, one. Yes. Me too. I use that sometimes too. I use it every morning to get out of bed. (laughs) Every day. Every day. So I know you don't have resting bitch face. You look beautiful and smiling. Thank you. You're welcome. So tell us how you got into doing what you do, because you are so multifaceted, even more than I realized in everything that you study and everything that you do. And 
I love that you are doing this as not someone who is just out of school or someone in their 30s or even 40s. Here you are doing what you do Hmm. when people are pretty much retiring and not doing anything. Most people. A lot. But here you are. I think retirement is overrated. Yeah. When it's not, you know, creative and inspired from within, that sounds kind of mushy and woo-woo, but <laughs> it sounds awesome to me. I'll tell you something. When I graduated, I went to undergraduate school later than most. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, such stories. So let me think. I'm trying to think how, how far back to take this. My father died when I was 15. Nobody knew what to do with me. I figured out on my own, which I'm kind of proud of, that I was going to go to University of Pennsylvania Graduate Hospital School of Medical Technology. Okay. Which I I did. I don't even know how I did that because I wasn't as conscientious and studious as I became. (laughs) And so I did that, but there was always kind of this pull because I was working with blood and urine and just, just bugs and all kinds yeah. of things like that. And I worked for the USDA Biological Control Lab and Drexel University's Cardiac Catheter Lab and wow. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there was this pull. So at some point, I... Um, had a choice to make and apply to graduate schools. And I was actually accepted to Harvard's um, Department of Psychology and Social Relations for a PhD program. And I turned them down because in the telling, it doesn't even sound like this could possibly be a true story, but I swear it is. Okay. When I visited them for a day, everybody looked miserable. Isn't that interesting? And there didn't seem to be a lot of caring as much about the people. One of the other programs that I applied to and also was accepted to was Simmons College School of Social Work. And when I walked into that building before I said yes or no to anyone, there it was all abundance and warmth and and not bitchy resting faces. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had a really hard, I had this little postcard that I had to go yes or no to return to Harvard. Yeah. And I I don't have a bad back. I don't suffer like through my body like that. But before I did that, I couldn't get out of bed for a week. I had some kind of back something but really before I could put the postcard into the mailbox it was the strangest (laughs) thing I have not had any back problems since so yeah so I said no to that and I went with the social work program Mm -hmm. and got a really really fine education how wonderful very very classic analytic education through the Harvard system. So I sort of made it up to myself that, that way. (laughs) 
Um, but there was a book that I read. Alan Wheelis was a psychoanalyst, and he wrote in the 70s, he wrote How People Change. And his basic premise, little book, I still have it because I think it changed my life. Uh-huh. He said, how people change is they just do. They just do. Yeah. That a lot of the training that I had was insight-oriented psychotherapy where people would sit there for years yeah. and um, whine about what happened to them Yeah, and how much it hurt. And they now know, because I follow the brain science, so we now know that you have to be careful with that because there are these neural connections. And every time you go over the trauma, you're strengthening the connections. Yes. So where we used to think that that was the cure is for people to be able to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it till they didn't need to talk about it anymore. Now we know to be careful there. And William James says that action does not guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without action. So Alan Willis was like in the back of my mind here. And then all of a sudden I started recently learning about coaching, which is much more future, positive, solution, focused, action oriented. And at the end of every session, there's like a little game plan, a little action plan uh, for one step or two, whatever they want, um, that is not so big that it overwhelms and shuts them down, but big enough to titillate the brain, to entertain the brain, a little novelty, a little something where the brain goes, ooh, something's happening here, and it motivates it to do some more and do some more and do some more. And that, that was not how I was trained. So I know that you... um, you are interested in and like to frame things and the concept of journey. Yes. And when you talk about my late bloomerness, <laughs> that was always sitting there and not manifest. Yeah. So I um, found out I needed this many credits, went to Vancouver, got trained by Ericsson International and sat for an exam to become a board certified executive career and life coach, which. That's amazing. Yeah. And then when did you, when did you receive that? When did you do that? The the board certified? I don't know how many years ago it was. I want to say like three, maybe. Okay. That I got that credential. Yes. So tell us then, we talked before, so I know how old were you when you received this certification? can't hold me to this because I'm very bad with dates, but I would then, if we count back, let's say three years, so it would have been 69. I know it sounds, it sounds hilarious, right? (laughs) 69. No, it sounds empowering because someone who's listening, who is, who's maybe saying, I'm 49. It's too late. It's I'm 52. This is too late. No, I've had some really great jobs along the way. 
I was the chief organizational development officer for commercial insurance roll-up firm, and I was the administrative director, treasurer at a group mental health practice. And there were all these things that I was doing, but I, I really, I really feel like there was something internal that I honored. Yeah. Um, just kept sort of following it around, you know? Yes. Like, where do you want to go next? Uh-huh. And well, why not? That's why, right. Why not? When I listen to people my age who are very, very focused on their bodies and they doctor a lot. Yeah. And they're um, very fascinated and um, by this condition or that condition. And, and I have no interest at all in any of that. And I think it's because I'm, I've gotten so good at entertaining my brain. <laughs> yes. Like learning is, is such a thing. And yeah. so much more fun than going to the doctors. It is way more fun. It is way more fun. And do you feel that we've bought into, this is what we're taught almost our, well, our whole lives, not even almost our whole lives, that when you get older, this happens. You, when you get older, you go on all kinds of medications. When you get older, you slow down. When you get older, you, and we start yeah. to believe this. I know. Why? It's not only that, it's also the company you keep. Yes. Like what feels like your reference group and what feels normal. Yes. Let me tell you about a great study. Ellen, yes. Ellen Langer okay. is a psychologist at Harvard. She wrote the first book on mindfulness I ever read, which was decades ago. Okay. And she has a couple of really great studies, one of which is, and it's right on your point, they took a bunch of probably people my age, and they took them to this monastery, and they set it up like it was in the 70s. So the people would have been much younger than they actually were. And all the magazines you know, were from the olden days and everything around them so they could simulate as much as possible the environment of their younger days. Yes. And what they did was they took health measures like um, blood pressure and glucose and whatever else they measured for them for these health indices. And then they... Um, did pre and post. So like after they spent the week or whatever it was and everybody's health improved. There were people, they told them that they had to carry their own stuff upstairs. No one was going to help them. Now at their age, they would have expected somebody would help them, but at a younger age, no. So they wouldn't help them do anything. They had them out on the basketball court. They were all playing and they noted that these people who could barely, barely walk up a flight of steps were shooting hoops like they were 20 and 30 years younger. And they have this whole thing documented. Yes. That's why my business is called Mind Over Matters, that 
by a reframing of a sense of self, you can actually affect the internal environment in really important ways. Fascinating. So you're right. If we think old age is that, then it will be. Yes. And I just, I just, I don't think like that. I don't even know how old people are. For some reason, I can never remember how old anyone is. <laughs> because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter to you. It's so irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You're right. Um, I don't know if you know that I had a 99.99999% chance of dying in 2004. You did. I did. I had. I flesh- did not know that. Yeah, I had I had flesh eating disease. Who gets that, right? And I don't know if that has anything to do with my uh, the agelessness with which I live my life or not. Wow. You would think it would, though, right? Yes, I would think that. I'm just writing my notes down. Yes, I would think that it it absolutely would because you faced you the, faced my a neighbor. possible demise. Yeah. And you overcame. And when you have something like that, in my opinion, you spend the rest of your life so thankful for every day that you don't want to sit down and waste one second thinking, well, gosh, I'm 72. I guess I should just start watching TV all day. No, yeah. Yeah. no, you, you, you cheated death out of getting you. So yeah. And yeah. It also kind of leaves you with, or left me with, um, this sense that of invincibility, which of course is not true, because eventually yeah. it's gonna get me. But I figure <laughs> if I if I did that, if I fought that, like, what can't I? And what can't you fight? And here's what's really important, and I don't want to forget to say this. People used to say to me, it made you so strong. And I would say to that, thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate that, but that's not it. It didn't make me strong. We all, you do, I do, all your listeners do, we all have inside of us what we need, when we need it, and we don't even know what's there until we need it. Oh, that's beautiful. So you have what I have. Every, everyone does, and I hope to God you never need it. But please know, everybody know, it's there for you. It's there for you when you need it. Yes. That is... That I just, is- I just put one foot in front of the other. That philosophy I told you about, they teach meet each need that is before you. And that's exactly what I did. Whatever I had to do, I did. Each need. Actually, I talked to my publisher this morning. Yeah. And he mentioned that about me. He said, you just wanted to know what to do so you can do it. I said, yeah. What happens next? What do I have? Yes. To- <laughs> <laughs> just do it. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. 
but so yeah when you went through that experience then that obviously I would think I shouldn't say obviously but I would assume that that was a very that brought a lot of stress and we were talking earlier this week about the stress of right now and I know you have been on the media talking about this this stress and so in that stressful time taking one step yes but how did you work through that stress how do you help people work through the stress now because these are crazy crazy times like we've had 10 years of tragedy it seems in 12 months yeah how how would you help someone through because you've been through an incredibly incredibly stressful time so you are an expert as far as i'm concerned so well people used to say to me how are you like sitting there like that i'd be going out of my mind i remember my brother saying that to me because my surgeon was supposed to take me to the OR and he went home and took a nap instead. And my brother said, how are you like, how are you not freaking out? Yeah. I don't know. It was just one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. I have a favorite question that I share with my clients in the answer to your question. And it's this. Okay. Is there something to be done here? So what what I teach them is this 30-second mindset reset, which is three breaths that are polyvagal breaths, so they stimulate the polyvagal nerve. This is, um, by the way, on my website, there's an instruction sheet for this called Power Breathing. and. It just tells you how to do this. So what that does is it kicks, it kicks whatever it is upstairs to the executive brain. It takes it out of the freaking out emotional brain and kicks it upstairs to the one you really want in charge. Okay. So then when it's up there and you're now connected with the um, smart one, The question is, is is there something to be done here? Okay. So sometimes, yeah, car coming, get out of the way, and there's no time to breathe. And we're not really talking about that kind of a thing. I think we all know what to do. Get Get out of the way. But for other kinds of, for the hand wringing kinds of things. Yes. um, Sometimes the answer is yes, but not by me. And then the follow-up question is, okay, then by whom? Okay. Sometimes the answer is yes, by me, but not right now. Okay. And then the follow-up question is, okay, when? Sometimes the answer is yes, by me, now. Sometimes the answer is yes, there's something to be done here, but I already did it. Okay. So then the issue becomes managing the anxiety. Okay. Because there's nothing to do and we get anxious when we don't have a thing to do. I know I do. I like mm-hmm. to, to do. And sometimes the answer is just no. There's There's nothing to be done here. And that brings you back to the same place I was just talking about which is sitting with doing 
nothing can be the hardest of all and the greatest thing we can learn how to do. The hardest of all and the greatest thing we can learn how to do. Go deeper into that for us, would you? Well, I'm trying to think how to go deeper into that. Humans enjoy their agency. Okay. Feeling like we have the power to make things better. Yes. So doing nothing. First of all, we don't like not knowing and we don't like not acting (laughs) when there's a problem at hand. Yes. Because it makes us feel so helpless and vulnerable. Yes. But sometimes that's exactly the most powerful thing we can do is to do nothing. So put that in in the context of what we are going through now worldwide with the pandemic and the other stressors that have come in 2020 in, in this country, in the U.S., with a wild election year, all of the stress that has come for so many in 2020, all of us with the pandemic, how do we apply this? Because there's, what can we do? About which issue? Yeah. Well with, okay, let's start with pan. Let's, let's do pandemic because that's, that's everyone that, that involves anyone who could possibly be listening. We're all in this pandemic. In listening to you. Yeah. This is, this is probably going to sound out of left field, but it's what came to mind. So I'm going okay. to spit it out. Love conquers all. Yes. So there are times where we're going to disagree with our loved ones about whether they should uh, get together with the people that they're getting together with, whether they should be wearing the mask here as well as there, you know, how many people in a room, who should you have Thanksgiving with? How should you have Thanksgiving? And by the way, it's so exhausting how many decisions we have to make that we never, (laughs) that we never had to make before. But for me, so I have two grown children. They're each married. My daughter has three grown children. The youngest is graduating high school. Okay. Um, My son has a four-year-old and a, he's about eight months old now. And they all live near me. Okay. And we're all very feisty and we all (laughs) have opinions. Mm -hmm. But what I'm so proud of my family for is that whether it's said explicitly or not, it, you can, I can feel that love is held the highest. So when anybody starts going down a road that's going to be hurtful or disruptive, I've seen us get close and then everybody pulls back. And it's almost like there's an internal sensor. You know how like like for dogs sometimes they have these invisible fences? Yes. It's like my family has an invisible fence that you don't go beyond there. 
And I think that's because we're holding love above all else. Yes. So I don't, does that address a little bit? Yes. Because if, if you hold that, that love conquers all, does that not help you deal with the stress of what is going on? Whether it, whether this pandemic brought you a job loss or not being able to visit family or ruining your vacation plans. Right. Well, so yeah. And that raises all kinds of other issues. So like, where does, where does love live? So for me, love lives in the heart. So for me, and I know that not everybody is like this, but for me, love isn't at a particular dining room table. Mm-hmm. Love, love is in my heart. And so I don't feel that my children and I love each other any less if we're not exactly at the same table. Yes. Together. Yes. Because the love is so certain. And the love only becomes uncertain when when we try to see whether it is or not. If we just if we just hold it and protect it, I feel I feel like it's in here, not always, no matter what. So yeah. whether there's a pandemic or someone lost their job, and I know these things are terrifically painful, there are ways to construe um which brings something else to mind michael yeah. pollan yes. wrote the omnivore's dilemma but he, he has a new book that's a newer book that's how i think it's called how to change your mind and okay. in the book is a chapter on how the mind works and how we, all of us. So the senses can only take in, and he gives actual numbers, which I'm not good with the numbers, like I told you with the ages and dates and all that stuff. (laughs) He gives actual numbers on how many bits of information bombard the senses per, per second, let's say. Oh, okay. And then he tells you how many are actually registered, which is infinitesimally small compared to the larger number that's coming from the environment. And because because we can only process such an itty-bitty, teeny little bit of it, we have to put the bits and pieces together. And when you do that, when you do that, and I do that. You're not doing it the same way I'm doing it. I'm not doing it the same way you're doing it. I'm trying to make sense. You're trying to make sense. And what that is, is my story. Mm-hmm. I put it together into a story. So there's some coherence in the world. And you put yours together to make sense into your story. So there's coherence in the world. And I always like to think of it as bumper cars. Do you remember bumper cars? Oh, love bumper cars. Right. So they're all like... So I got my story and then Daniel Kahneman, the Pulitzer Prize winning thinking fast and slow guy, talks about how we all want to be the hero 
in our own story. Yeah. That it was even worthwhile that we were here somehow. Yes. So, so like, I want to be the hero of my story. You want to be the hero of your story. Then each person is trying to fit everybody else in the world into their story. It's like I'm producing and directing a movie and I want you, I got a part for you in my movie. You got a part for me in yours, but I'm busy with my own movie and you're busy with your own movie. (laughs) And everybody's just like the egos are like colliding all over the place. Yes. But the point of that is that since it was a story, and that's all it is, because you're not absorbing 100% of reality. Okay. A little bit of it, and you put it together in a certain way, and that's your story. And since it's a story in the first place that you made up without realizing it, you can make a better one. Yes. In the midst of this pandemic, where people are suffering, not all, by the way, and even the ones who aren't suffering are struggling with the yes. fact that they're not struggling, that they're not struggling when other people are. Yes. And what do you do with that? So it it poses challenges for everyone, pretty much more and less. Yeah. But There's a story that goes, so the Buddha says there are two arrows. Okay. The first arrow is the thing that happens. Okay. So we have a pandemic. That's the first arrow. Or maybe we lost our job. That's the first arrow. That's the thing that happened. And he said, that's the pain. Okay. The second arrow is what the mind makes of the thing that happened. Power. And that he calls, he said, and that, the second arrow is the suffering. The first one is the pain. It's there until it's not there anymore. The suffering, what the mind does, can last all day, all week, all year all month, for the rest of your life. This story, the second arrow is the story that we're telling ourselves Hmm. about what happened. And all I guess I mean to say is, once we get, it's a story, we can make a better one. Yes. So that would be my recommendation to those who are truly in pain, to differentiate between pain and then the suffering that the mind makes of it so we can put some brakes on the suffering and again to hurt love and hearts and no one. So Viktor Frankl said about the Holocaust yeah. that all the dogs are barking. I know, I know. I was just going to say, this is real life though. <laughs> it must Mr. be dinner time with the dogs. Said, that we have no control over what happens, but we have a hundred percent or can over our response to it. And it's yes. that response to it that causes the deepest and most long-standing suffering. So that brings to mind Robert Sapolsky, he's a new neuroscientist on the West Coast who wrote why zebras don't get ulcers. 
So zebras don't get ulcers because if it's lunchtime, they go out and get their lunch and they, they eat it and they're done. It's lunchtime for us. And we say, yeah, but I'm having a big dinner and I probably shouldn't eat such a big lunch. And besides, I ate too much yesterday and this food isn't the right food anyway and I should be eating all organic and that's all that second arrow stuff that produces all this suffering and he said humans are the only ones who do that and that's why we get ulcers that's fascinating because the mind yeah it's all about it's all about the mind so I like to think that I teach people how to master that and you do yeah. So, As you do. And they and they smile and it makes me happy. Yes. Oh, I have been taking so many notes and I will get as many of these of these resources that you talked about in the show notes because I want everybody to have a way to find them all. I love Viktor Frankl. I could read his book. A lot of those books are quite old. They're That's a, yeah. They're, they're just classics, like- right? They're my favorites. I gave away like 12 boxes of books when I moved to DC in 2013. And I'm I'm always sort of um, entertained by the ones that made it from this move to this move to this, like Alan Willis's book from the 70s. Yeah. Some of them, they're such gems. Yes. such, Such pearls of wisdom. Yeah. I, I'm I'm fascinated by this why zebras don't get ulcers one because that's so true when you were saying that a zebra just goes and eats lunch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. When was the last time I was just like, I mean, even today, I, oh, I haven't got a busy afternoon. I could just bring something. To, well, maybe I should go eat. Well, I want to leave my mom alone. <laughs> oh my gosh, just go eat. Exactly. There, and there's all this mentation. Yeah. Which I like to think that it has been having quieted enough of that. I don't really think, I might be deluding myself, I'm not sure. I don't really think I do too much of it. Mm -hmm. And when it quiets, that's when all this self-direction bubbles up. So Emerson, here's another fave, said that it it wasn't the wisdom of bards and sage, sages that should guide us, but there's this flash across the mind. Well, there's something that, that bubbles up inside of us. And I know this sounds like some woo-woo kind of stuff, but <laughs> you really can hear it if it's not so noisy in yeah. there. And all that stuff that we were saying as an example about lunch is the noise. Yes. And it really like sort of gets in the way of um, a better answer to what's for lunch. Yes. And it goes back to what you said about that hardest is sitting in that silence and doing nothing. Right. Sitting in that silence. And just let it bubble up. Yeah. So the in the book, there, there are these five steps. The, the premise of my book is a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. So the first step 
is the grounding in the belief that it doesn't have to be that way. But I want to emphasize the second step is you can't make sure that you have a good environmental fit, something that fits with who you really are, if you don't know who you really are. Exactly. So that second step is so important, which is the getting quiet enough to realize that's the R, G-R-E-A-T, that's the R, to recognize who you really are. And a lot of my clients come to me with a great problem. They They have numerous gifts and opportunities and they don't know what to do because somebody always told them what to do. Yeah. Because they had like helicopter parents maybe. So they they never had to think. And now they do. And they don't know which way to turn because they don't know who they are. They only know who they were told they were. Yeah. And so this journey is the discovery of what makes them tick and what gets in the way. And you need a certain amount of quiet to, to, to access. Yes. To access what's in there. That's so, that's so beautiful. I love that, that whole, how can you tap into everything else until you know who you are? So. Tell us then how, I know your book is coming out next year, but how can we find you? How can we make sure we're on your list to be notified when this book is available to be in our hands so we can be great too, like you? Thank you. (laughs) Notice, I'm not saying I'm great. Notice that I (laughs) the book, unless they change the title, and I'll know that in about a month or so, as getting to great. So it kind of with your journey idea. Yes, 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 yes. It's a process over time and it's a repeatable process. I think the easiest way is to just go directly to the website. Okay. And is it MadelaineWeiss.com? Yeah. All right. On there, there are the um, links to all the social media, but more importantly, there's a blog on there, but there's also a um, a button that says complimentary exercises. Okay. So if somebody goes to the button and clicks that, they'll go to a box with a pull down and the pull down has mind management exercises. And I would recommend that, um, I like that power breathing one because it's yes because it's only thirty seconds, and I think it's really powerful. Yes, there's a there's a young man, one of these very talented people, who has a very racing mind, and when I did it with him, at the end of it, he just looked at me and he went, "Wow!" It was kind of like I'd given him like a psychedelic drug or something. <laughs> Yeah. Breathing. I'll do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, that will put, that will put people on the mailing list. Look at the dog. Okay. I know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> on the mailing list. So that when I start making the announcements about, okay. You can awesome. help me pick the cover 
Awesome. Yeah. So I will make sure that is in the show notes because I know people are going to want to get a hold of you and oh, that'd be great. Know all the things. I would love that. Yes. And we come to the question of the podcast, your version of your pow pow shoes. What just makes you feel like the badass you are? So I feel like that has to do with Howard Gardner is the multiple intelligences guy. And I was in his classroom and said something, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said or whatever. Oh, I was debating the difference between the brain and the mind with him. And I don't think he liked my question. So I went up (laughs) to apologize afterwards. And he said to me, it's okay. You have epistemic hunger, which is this hunger for knowing and learning. And even though it might be an affliction of sorts, I feel like it has given me such an abundant toolkit on behalf of those I serve. So someone said recently, and I completely agree that the art and science of, let's say, coaching is to know which tool to pull out when. Yes. So I feel like my special power has to do with, for whatever crazy reason, I needed to know as much as I needed to know. I now have this toolkit that is just so full of goodies. Yes. um, People seem to appreciate it. And I love, as you know, giving. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Out of my little bag of tricks. That's awesome. And a journal prompt. We leave each podcast with a journaling prompt for our listeners. All you. Somebody asked that kind of a question a different way. And the question was, if you could start a movement, what, what would it be? Oh, I love that. And it's the same thing as it's, it's my same answer as the answer to the journal prompt. Yes. That for people to be thinking in terms of what the um, ancients call good company and good company is more than it sounds like Mm -hmm. good company is the books we read the food we eat Mm -hmm. back to the lunch the wine we drink um, the music that we listen to get this part next it's important the thoughts in our head and then and then what it sounds like, the people we invite and welcome into our lives. Yes. And the idea is the finest quality of everything that we can find and afford. And it's what you and I were talking with in the green room. Uh, what we were talking about, I think, was um, this or or was that during the podcast, the idea (laughs) with the um, bringing your joy to the world? Yes. And in order to do that, so I take very seriously all of that. And the reason most of all is that I feel like I'm an instrument for the use 
of all the people I care about, like my family, my friends, yeah. clients, and that it, the onus is on me to keep that instrument as polished and fine-tuned as possible. And the way to do that is to surround myself to whatever extent possible with nothing but good company. Yes. So the journal prompt would be good company. Yes. I love that. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I have, I have so many notes. It has been amazing. That was great fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening in. I want you to know I do not take it for granted that you give me this time to have coffee and tea together with me. But before you go, it would mean the world to me if you grab a quick coffee or tea refill and pop into the podcast reviews and leave me a review. It's how this podcast grows. It's how it reaches and empowers more women. And it's how I know how to serve you best. I want this podcast to be what you need. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and share it with your friends and follow me on Instagram at I am Carrie V. Remember, it is never too late. Peace out, girlfriend. Pow, pow.